Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Not with me today is Colin Brister. He's out on assignment. In his place is Nick Suss. Nick, what's up, man? Not too much. I am returning to remembering how to work after a week and a half off. So this is this is fun. It's weird, isn't it? You get used to not yeah. doing anything. Especially when you leave the state and you're just checked out of everything. So I feel like I'm real lost, but hopefully I'm not that lost. How was your holiday? It was pretty good. A lot of uh, not doing anything. And then the anxiety connected to not doing anything. But it is always fun to spend time not alone. You get so wired in this business to working all the time and never really turning off your work. Because a lot of people, they go to work at 8, they get home at 5. We don't do that. Anything can happen at any point. And for a week there at Christmas, it's you're really not having to do anything. There's nothing going on. The coaching staff stuff, it's dead. Lane Kiffin goes home for a week. I don't think the coaches come back until January 13th, January 12th. And then basketball, they take a break. You have one game before the Christmas holiday and one game well afterwards. And baseball, of course, is out of season. So not a lot going on. No, it is a sleepy, sleepy time. And uh, trying to fill those content quotas, I, I'm, I'm not feeling happy for anyone in this industry right now. You poor, 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 poor man. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. He's Nick Suss. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. And Talk of Champions is also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. Before we really get going here on Talk of Champions, let me tell you briefly about Impact by Ironwood and Sola, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right, Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around, and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolmus.com. Make a difference, make an impact. So a few years ago, a multi-generation Ole Miss family set out to do something a little different in the world-renowned Oxford culinary community. They wanted to bring a true wine bar to the square. Upon opening the wine bar in 2013, they discovered they had one of the Southeast's best young chefs in Erica Leip. Fascinated by diverse cultures and tastes, Erica proved herself to be a true visionary when pairing food and drink, constantly discovering new pairings, and creating seasonal offerings that took the classics everyone loves and twisting them up a notch to create something truly unique. Fast forward to 2019, the family felt that their food offerings were being undervalued and decided to lean on Erica's incredible culinary talents and rebrand the wine bar into one of the best restaurants in the Southeast. Enter Sola bringing to you unique cuisine and lifted spirits. Come as you are, enjoy creative dishes and distinctive drinks as served by Erica and her team of food and beverage enthusiasts, skillfully combining ingredients from local purveyors with classic cooking techniques from all over the world. Simply put, Sola is the best restaurant in Oxford. So check them out. The website is solaoxford.com or give them a call at 662-238-3500. Also remember to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram using the at MS on all platforms. 
Sola in Oxford on the Oxford Square. When you're looking ahead to the new year, Ole Miss sports are going to reset about January 12th when football comes back in. I think baseball reports January 15th. There'll be some basketball action, Wichita State this weekend. They open SEC play. What are you most going to be paying attention to in January? I just feel like this is a reset year for all of Ole Miss. After so much coaching search and AD search and chancellor search and all that stuff last year, new year, new decade, everything's starting fresh. So I got no idea what's going to happen. This basketball team is the first thing we'll see. And right now they're working through some stuff. You heard it as much as I did yesterday. They still haven't figured out how to do what Kermit Davis wants as far as finding the identity he wants to play with. This baseball team's got to replace pretty much its entire batting lineup. Uh, they, they got a couple of key players returning and obviously they got pitchers returning, but I don't know what they're going to look like. And then football, obviously, who knows what you're going to be getting from them. We still haven't seen what the coaching staff's going to be uh, fully yet. And the roster completely manipulating. We'll see who stays and who goes. And we'll see what this February recruiting class ends up being. And it's just question marks all around. There's reason for optimism because there's been so much change. But there's also very little certainty. Over under three and a half coaching searches to cover in the next Ole Miss decade. Because the last decade was really busy. Of the three main sports, I will take the over uh, for three and a half coaching searches. Well, then Kermit Davis, the only way he's gone is if he retires at that point. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think he's got time. We'll see what happens with baseball. I honestly have no idea if Bianco is going to want to retire, if Bianco is going to get fired, if he's going to stay another 10 years. Honestly, that one we will see because he's been here a long time and he's done a lot of great things. So who knows if he steps down? Who knows if he keeps going? And then football, you can never bank on any coach being anywhere for 10 years unless that's Nick Saban. Yeah. The question about Mike Bianco is I don't understand what the expectation is supposed to be. Is it Omaha or bust for him to keep his job? Because if that's the expectation, it's far more likely that he's not going to meet it than he's actually going to succeed and get to Omaha again. Omaha's like making the Elite Eight. It's kind of hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think there's probably two programs in the country three programs in the country that can justify Omaha or bust expectations. And I mean, Ole Miss is a great program with a really, really passionate fan base, especially by college baseball standards. But I mean, it's just almost impossible to justify Omaha or bust for this program, especially this year with so much having to be replaced. You kind of do that though, when you don't roll over the contract, if that's then the expectation, why did you not just fire Mike Bianco if you don't believe in him anymore? And that's where, doing the whole half-measure thing. And I understand why Keith did. He was in an awkward position. He was the interim, but now being the full-time AD, I wonder would he have handled it differently, maybe decreased the buyout? I don't know. But I, I think that he would have gone about it in a different way than the way he did as the interim not rolling over Mike. Because I think now, in hindsight, it's easier to do this in hindsight, but in hindsight, that was probably not the perfect way to go. No, and the interesting thing to me is baseball's probably in a very similar position this year that football was in last year, albeit different levels of success recently, but great recruiting class coming in. It feels like a rebuilding year or an in-between year, but in two years, there might be a lot of talent here that can lead this team far. And the question is, do you stick with the guys who brought that talent in, or do you bring in new guys to make the best of this talent if you don't think the current regime can do that. It's a very similar situation, but obviously baseball is four or five steps ahead success-wise of where football was in the Luke era, so you can't make it a one-to-one -one parallel. I wanted to bring up something. The staff movement for Lane Kiffin is what everyone's going to be focused on in the yeah. short term. I've talked about this enough. I think people are tired of hearing from me about this on my own podcast. They want to hear from Nick Suss. So what do you think the timeline is for him finalizing his staff? I mean, as you hit on, I would be shocked to see it finalized before that January 13th, January 15th, and when everybody's back. I know there are going to be – you have to get it done by mid-January because you just need to have coaches in place for those two, three weeks leading into February signing day. So I'd say hard deadline probably mid-January within the next – 14 to 20 days. But uh, if it's earlier than that, I'm not going to be surprised. Kiffin said at his press conference on December signing day that they already had offensive staff hires done, that they hadn't 
confirmed officially yet. So maybe we'll see a couple more of those trickle in in the early days of the new year just because maybe coaches were waiting to sign or something like that. Or maybe somebody backed out. Who knows? But as for defensive staff hires, now that the NFL season's over, there's really no excuse to not go after guys if you're thinking about NFL guys. Um, I, other than that, college guys can move really whenever they want. So it's really up to how quickly Kiffin makes his decisions. Bo Davis isn't going to happen, not because Ole Miss isn't interested, and I think that Bo Davis would be interested too, but more because I think he's a year away from – picking up retirement in the NFL, and that's a big deal. Those NFL pensions are yeah. massive payouts for coaches that are retiring. And, and I wasn't specifically speaking to him. I'm just saying the timeline yeah, sure. in general. There, there are so many. Now, if you were waiting on him or any other measure of NFL assistance who you're connected to, you can go for it. Uh, obviously, if they're still in the playoffs, you have to get permission or wait for them to lose. But yeah, we'll see what ends up happening. I, I'd be really, really surprised if Ole Miss makes hires after signing day this year, like they did last year with, I'm pretty sure, Coons and maybe even Tyrone Nix. It could extend that far, though. I could see that happening because I think the early signing period has changed the timeline for in which coaches go about putting their staffs together. But the late February signing period has changed it as well. It's always been there, but you haven't had to factor it in when building your staff, especially if you're a new coach going into a new situation. You want continuity there, but I don't think any coach currently on the staff that was here last year, Mike McIntyre, Tyrone Nix, Freddie Roach, Charles Clark, are insured of anything right now, but you're under contract and you have to abide by your contract in order to keep getting paid and not fired for cause and not get any buyout money. They're working in an awkward spot to where they don't know what their future is, but you still have to do the job. I'm curious, would, would McIntyre being fired for cause at Ole Miss void his Colorado buyout? Oh, God, I have no idea. I doubt it because, I mean, if he didn't want to do this, he could probably stop and keep living off of whatever he was making off Colorado. That's oh, still probably – coaches are coaches are coaches, Nick. Oh, I'm not saying he would do that. I'm just saying there's a backdoor loophole for McIntyre that there isn't for Roach and Nix and, and Clark. I'm not advocating for anybody because that's not my job and I really don't care that much. But I would be tempted if I were Lane Kiffin – if you're running the 3-4 anyway, to not at least continue with Mike McIntyre's defense coordinator. If it's only Mike McIntyre, maybe Charles Clark, because Charles Clark has um, a foothold in Florida to an extent, I would understand that. I'm all for coaches bringing in whoever they think is the best fit for them, full autonomy for coaches to assemble their staffs. So far be it for me to tell Lane Kiffin what to do. But it would make sense then, considering the pool of candidates that we've at least heard, and Lane Kiffin could pull any number of guys out of the dark here and completely surprise us as far as defensive coordinator candidates. But from what we know, none of those guys really blow you away. Even a Taj LePoy, Freddie Kitchens was fired from the Browns. So Taj LePoy, he's available right now if you want to go get him. I know that Lane Kiffin has some interest in him, but do you want him as a co-defensive coordinator, a linebackers coach? Really what he's going to be hiring him for is to be a recruiter above all else because yeah. Taj LePoy can recruit. He wasn't all that great as a defensive play caller for Alabama. But Mike did a good job, and I, I know it's easy to look at last year's defense and not be overly impressed, but you and I talked about this before the season started last year, and I asked you if Ole Miss went from 120th defensively to the 80s. That's a significant improvement. Is that enough to swing wins and losses? Probably not, but that's good enough, and that's exactly what happened. That's a massive step forward, and if Ole Miss then takes another step with a lot of returning personnel, I know they lost a lot on the defensive line a little bit in the secondary, but if they take another step and jump to, what, the 50s? With that offense, you assume would be improved under Lane Kiffin. This team could be sneaky good next year. Yeah, and I mean, this is an argument I'd make for the defense, and it's going to involve me talking about college gymnastics, so don't glaze your eyes over quite yet, but <laughs> college gymnastics determines its postseason by something called RQS, which isn't just averaging all of your scores together. You take your three or four best road meets and then your three or four best remaining meets, home away or neutral. You take off the best score and the worst score, and then you average the remaining five or six together. That's your RQS. I feel like defensively, if you do that with Ole Miss, you take your three best road games, your three best home away or road uh, home away or neutral games, take out the best and worst from that, average it together. Ole Miss's RQS defense would probably be a lot closer to middle of the pack than you'd think. Which, I mean, obviously middle of the pack still isn't great, but no matter what way you manipulate the numbers with 
two years ago and last year, it would have been bad. You take away a couple of the outliers of playing Alabama and playing LSU. This defense is probably middle of the country, which is a huge upgrade. And that's kind of the way I look at this McIntyre performance where he upgraded this defense from one of the worst in the country to definite middle of the pack if you take away outliers against maybe the two best offenses in the country. That's really interesting and really well put. I don't know how you know so much about gymnastics. Love gymnastics. If you ever want to do a full gymnastics podcast, I can talk about it for days and days. You forget I used to cover Georgia and I used to cover LSU, which are two like huge gymnastics power programs. Look, my two daughters are in gymnastics. I pay $160 a month for them to not know how to do a cartwheel. So... (laughs) But yeah, Mike McIntyre did a great job with this defense last year. The personnel returning defensively isn't as good, but you would expect, assuming that Lane Kiffin is the recruiter we all think he is, to land a couple of big-time prospects that we don't see right now. I think the recruiting board is completely wiped clean, and we don't really know anybody who he's going after, who he's going to get, who he's going to offer. The last two weeks leading up to the February signing period, I think can be absolutely nuts for Ole Miss football. You've already seen some offers go out. A four-star safety, I think I saw from David Johnson, who works with me at the Ole Miss Spirit, is going to visit Ole Miss at the end of January. Don't know his name. Um, I'll get David on. He'll talk about recruiting, maybe the next podcast. But yeah, I, I think football-wise, there's so much up in the air. Staff-wise, recruiting-wise, this could look completely different in a month's time. And we'll be looking back going, oh, wow. Uh, Ole Miss football is in a completely different spot today than it was at the end of December. Yeah, I agree with that, Ben. I I think that you got to find some defensive linemen, and and that's something Kiffin said on the Wednesday of signing day, and it's something he's going to continue hitting through all of January with the recruits. But other than that, I think the team could be as good as it was last year, if not better talent-wise, if you can find one or two linchpins uh, up front. Other than that, you're really returning most of your important players on defense and offense. Do you think Lane Kiffin can be a two-win differential from Matt Luke and his offensive staff with Rich Rod? Um, Maybe not year one, just because of all of the toughness of the schedule that everybody who listens to this podcast already knows by heart by now. But in a vacuum, yeah, maybe. When you look at next year, what should be the going into the year expectation as far as wins and losses then? Should they be expecting a bowl? Should six wins be a realistic viewpoint for Ole Miss fans? I would say five is probably the fair viewpoint, but maybe that's just because I tend to err on the lower side with these predictions. I I always say that however many wins you think your team's going to have, subtract one, and that should be the expectation. But it really depends on what do you think of – State. What do you think of Texas A&M? What do you think of even Auburn and Florida? Because I honestly don't know what those teams are going to look like. We got nine months to figure out what those teams are going to look like. And we got a couple of very heavy weeks to figure out if Matt Rule is going to be the head coach at Baylor. So we'll see what the schedule is and how tough it actually ends up being. But I don't know. I, right now I'm thinking five is probably the fair number with if you, if you surprise somebody, you get to six. Well, look into your crystal ball. This time next year, what's going to be the number one story in Ole Miss sports in 2020? Ooh, this time next year, number one story in 2020. And it might be Nick Suss has gone on to take over the world as the next great college football, college sports, sports reporter. That might be it. But for now, I'll still be here. For now, <laughs> what's the top Ole Miss story? I think that if everything goes right, the top Ole Miss story will be heading into his junior year, Jerry Ely's getting huge hype as an NFL prospect and a potential All-America type player. Because the one thing everybody knows about Lane Kiffin, if, if you've watched his offenses, is he identifies the best player on his team and he gives him the ball until the player breaks down. Did it with Amari Cooper, did it with Derrick Henry, did it with Devin Singletary at FAU. He did it with, uh, what was his name, Marquise Lee at at USC. He finds the best skill player on the offense, and that becomes the offense. If everything goes right, that should be Jerry Ely this year. And if Ole Miss gets to six or seven wins on the back of Ely, that's going to be the story, especially if he continues playing baseball, which who knows if he would continue playing baseball if he puts up great numbers on football. That's where Mike Clement comes in, and he's coming in in just a second. But you're saying in the Lane Kiffin offense, all this talk about the quarterback with Matt Corral, John Rice, Grant Tisdale, the focus is going to be on Jerrion. 
the focus is going to be on whoever Lane thinks gives the team the best place to win. So if that's Elijah Moore, the focus will be on Elijah Moore. If that's Snoop Connor, it'll be Snoop Connor. If that's John Rice or Corral or Tisdale or Kincaid Dent or Cade Renfro, any of those guys, we'll see. But my guess right now is it's Jerry So you don't think any baseball or basketball story can outweigh whatever the big predominant football story is? I mean, it could. Let's say, hypothetically, Blaze Jordan decides to not go pro and not go to Mississippi State and picks Ole Miss. I think that'd be pretty surprising, but uh, I'm not expecting the number one player, high school player in the country to skip the MLB and also renege on his current commitment if he does so. I love the obscurity that you pull into Ole Miss conversations that have nothing to do with Ole Miss, just to make a point. That's why I love Nick Suss. That's why I enjoy having him as my guest co-host. Here on Talk of Champions, I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben. He's at Nick Suss, Colin Brister, the regular co-host on this show, at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe or review Talk of Champions in iTunes. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach, coming up right now on the Modern Woodman phone line. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman Phone Line is Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. The holidays are over, Mike. Did you have a good one? And Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. I appreciate you having me on. Always uh, good to have a little downtime, which that's what it is. This uh, it, in the baseball profession, so uh, yeah, it was good. It was really good. When does it get kickback started, really in earnest again, as y'all prepare for the season opener? Yeah. Well, most of our guys uh, are in winter intercession classes. So uh, basically, what that is quickly is you know uh, they can knock out one class before the second semester starts. So they all they will all be back sometime right after the first of the year and uh, have, have like a week and a half worth of classes. So they'll, they'll, we can't work with them as coaches with the exception of the strength and conditioning guys. So strength and conditioning will work with them. And then we get to work uh, January 15th. What's the schedule like once they get back, what will they jump right back into? Yeah, it's a good point. It's really kind of scary from a coaching standpoint is once, once we're done with the Omaha challenge, we it's really hands off because of rules. Um, and then we get our hands back on them January 15th and we're less than a month away from, from first pitch. And so, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta really count on those guys, um, to be getting their work in and everything else. Um, you know, for, for, because we, we only have a month to go. So January 15th, we have skill instruction, which means you can get them for four hours a week, baseball wise. And so we'll do a lot of skills and drill stuff. Uh, that works up to, I can't remember the date, it's three weeks before first pitch, you can start the full 20 hours, inner squad, all of that at the end of January. So when you do that individual skill instruction, do you really get to cater those workouts to individual players, or is it really because of the limited time, you just got to kind of throw them out there and all do the same stuff? No, we we try to do it individually, especially from a position player standpoint. Um, You know, for me, just try to, we do put them in groups, but the way I try to organize those groups is such that, you know, kind of do some of the same things offensively and work on some of the same things as opposed to the guys who are more bombers who are, you know, we're going to look to drive the ball and those kinds of, those kinds of guys. So we try to separate them that way. Um, and then on defensive days, obviously it's pretty easy to separate them as far as middle infielders, corner infielders, outfielders, catchers, and, and, and all of that. So we try to tailor it to, the individual, um, just because I think that's the way baseball's got to be coached. And I think 
if you're doing it, hey, just a big group, and this is what everybody's doing, we're all doing it the same, I think you're doing the guys wrong. Although, you know, like you said, at some sometimes you have to you have to do that from a from a time standpoint, but not very often. I would assume though, when the time is limited, you really have to rely on the leaders on the team to help you as far as getting things done. So who are those leaders right now? Yeah, no question. That's a really good point and something you and I have talked about in the past, how experience wins and not just experience having 200 at-bats under your belt, but experience as far as just knowing what the routine is. In the last couple of years, that's been pretty easy. And so we're really going to lean on guys like Elko, Sir Video, Keenan, um, from an offensive standpoint um, with, <clears throat> with leadership. You know, those guys have to be able to run the show, especially from – January 2nd when winter intercession starts until January 15th when when you know the coaching staff can be there with them they're all going to be in town they're all going to be taking classes they're all going to be lifting weights and they all have access to our facility so um you know you really lean on those guys from a leadership standpoint to get get things going because it's not like we have uh two months uh to get ready you know we have you know six weeks and it's and it's go time and uh if anybody has looked at our schedule you know that uh we're not we're not easing our way into things. We're gonna we're gonna play you know potentially the number one team in the country opening weekend. So we gotta be ready to roll. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about this schedule. There's no easy start here. It's Louisville, and from that point forward, you're just kind of rolling right into it. So when you look at the start of the off season with the Omaha Challenge, then going into this strength and conditioning program, then on into the season, first starting with the Omaha Challenge, who impressed you there? Who stood out to you? Yeah, there's a couple things. I, you know, the guy who you know, we we score it as you know. Some of some of the listeners may not know quite as well. We score the Omaha Challenge. There's a team aspect to it and an individual aspect to it. The the individual who who jumps right to mind that that was super impressive is Derek Diamond, freshman guy. He 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 won the Omaha Challenge. Won the the individual side of it. Um, just a really good athlete. And and the Omaha Challenge kind of combines some strength and conditioning, some strong guy events, and then some athleticism, quick, fast guy events. And Diamond, you know, just has an has a really good blend of those things. He he was a position player um, and a pitcher, obviously known way more from from a pitching standpoint. And I think our fans will see that um, right away from the from the first weekend. He's been special for us on the mat. You think we have a real strength there, and and he fits right in. And potentially, like you and I talked about before, not to not to put words in laugh or or Mike's. Um, mouth, but you know we have potential to have two sophomores and a freshman on the weekend, and I think that you know with that said, some people that would scare, but man, I think uh, I think it's as as good a staff maybe as as we've had in my six years here, which is which is really saying something. That's what I was going to say. As far as staff philosophy, I don't know what exactly y'all think about this, but I would like to buy lottery tickets with upside more often than not. Yeah, you want experience, but. Sometimes if those lottery tickets, yeah, they could bust pretty big, but when they hit, man, they could hit big time. Oh, that's so true. And and here's the thing: you almost have that with with two of those three guys on the on the weekend. Um, you got youth coupled with experience with Gunner and with Doug. Those guys were weekend starters the majority of the year last year. Right. And in Doug's case, obviously had uber success. And with Gunner. Um, probably more of the typical freshman year, but had some spots where he was really, really good. And um, he was, you know, one of the more impressive guys this fall. So you have kind of what you were talking about, and then you have diamond um, or whoever else fits into that, <clears throat> into that third slot. But um, there's some, there's some huge upside on that. And, and it seems like, you know, you and I just talked about it. I talked about it from a position player standpoint, but it seems like experience is really important from a position player standpoint, but uh, on the pitching side, uh, it's almost one of those things. If you're really good, you're really good. We saw it with Rollison. Um, we saw it with Nikhazy last year. You see it with, you know, a bunch of Kumar Rocker. You see it with a bunch of freshmen on the mound. It seems like those guys on the mound, if you can do it, you can do it. Whereas position players, sometimes even the guys who are in the big leagues right now, sometimes it takes them a little bit to um, to get going. The, the, the year that Keenan had in 18 is more the exception than it is the rule, I think, for freshmen. Yeah, for pitchers, there is a benefit, I would think, too, to having a group grow together, even if it's not three years together, two years together in baseball. That's a big deal. No question. And I think in, you know, in baseball, there's so much about the confidence um, that, that comes with it, whether it be a position player or pitcher. And I think those guys, 
you know, led by Nikhazy from, from a confident, he just has it, you know, and you saw it all year last year. You've spoken with him just when he takes the mound, there's a confidence and an aura about him that exudes the rest of the team and the rest of the pitching staff. And I think, um, I think that's, it was really evident this fall and you were out there a ton and got to see it. But um, I think our staff thinks and knows that they're really good. And um, man, that's a good place to start. Yeah, you have to be kind of strange, too, to be the ace of a staff. I mean, Drew was strange. Lance was strange to a point. <laughs> Doug's unique. Now, Doug's not a weirdo like Drew, and Drew is awesome, and he's a great guy to deal with. But, yeah, you have to be a little different to lead a staff, and I think Doug's kind of embraced that pretty well. Oh, I think different may be the, one of the best words to use. He's uh, He is super unique. Uh, of all of the, whatever it is, 35, 40 guys on our roster right now, um, he's the most unique. Um, he, he, he doesn't, uh, fit the bill of, uh, the jock, which most of our guys do. I did, you know, growing up and that's, I love baseball and that's what I did. And not that Doug doesn't love baseball, but he, uh, whatever all those stereotypes are of the, of the left-hander, left-handed pitcher, he fits them and he's riding a skateboard around campus and has the long hair and, uh, is a, is a unique thinker, but, uh, all of that aids to, to who he is and, I wouldn't want any other way. I know that. This offseason is most critical for who, do you think? Oh, that's a really good question. I, you know, immediately that comes to mind, it's um, the guys who have been here that haven't maybe had a ton of success. I think it's the Elko. It's the Justin Bench. And for different reasons, they haven't had a ton of success. You know, Bench, obviously, was a young guy last year, broke his hand. Um but, but I think of those types of guys that are going to need to step in and fill a role and, and actually make us a little more veteran um, offensively than what, than what people think. Um, but I think for those guys to kind of slide in and, and be good players and take some of the uh, pressure off some other guys, I, I think more of those guys. I think Keenan's going to be good. I think Servidio is going to be good. I think Graham is going to be good. Um, but I think it's those guys like Elko, excuse me, bench, you know, those guys get off to a good start. And I don't mean necessarily good start. Once we start with Louisville, I'm talking about a good start. Um, once they get back to campus and feel good about themselves, because I think those guys have a chance to really stretch out our lineup and make it pretty dangerous. Josh Hall entered the transfer portal. Wasn't really a surprise to you guys. Great kid, but it does clear up the center field picture a bit. Don't you think? Not a huge surprise to us. I think, you know, he wanted a little more expanded role um, than, than what he was going to have. It does clear it up in the sense that there's one guy out of the mix. Right. Um, the only thing that it doesn't, it's just you, you put those football guys in there, um, and we just, you know, there's a, there's a bit of an unknown with them just because they haven't been on the field. They've been over there a ton, like we talked about. Probably people are getting bored hearing about it. Uh, but they've been over there a ton. We like what we have with them. The swings work and everything. But as you know, they haven't seen live pitching since, you know, the playoffs of their senior year of, of high school. We've done all the simulated things that we can do. Um, but you don't really know until the bullets start flying. So I think both of those guys have potential to play in the middle of the field, the outfield. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, uh, you know, if, if they'll do it. But, yes, clears it up in the sense that Kate Sammons had a really, really good fall. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's potential had to have that spot too, but we'll see with Ely and Plumley how, how they come out in January. And also, Justin Bench can play out there. We've talked about that before, but back to the football players. When do they come over and start jumping into the baseball strength and conditioning? How long will they be with football? And is there a day, a time in which they come over to you guys and then they're all of a sudden baseball players predominantly? Yeah, no, really good question. And, and a little bit of it, there was some uh, – indecision a little bit because of the, the instability of the football staff and how that all went down. Um, I know John Rice and, and Jerry were both a little bit, I don't know how this is going to work, um, just because we had it a little more mapped out with Coach Luke. But I know Coach Bianco went over and sat down with Coach Kiffin and, and, they, and they talked about it. And I know Coach Kiffin has had some dual baseball football guys in the past. I think when he was uh, the OC out at, out at USC, had a couple guys and so they visited about it. And those guys are going to be baseball players. They're going to be baseball players just because spring football doesn't start, you know, until more in the middle of our season. And I think they'll revisit it probably, you know, say March 1st or something like that and just see what kind of role they're playing, how we need to share them. 
um, from a football standpoint. Um, but those guys are geared up, baseball guys. Um, that's what's impressed me so much about those two guys. They had um, no expectations from us as a baseball staff uh, on how much to be over at our place this past fall. And those guys were arguably our two best football players. I think that's a, a safe argument to make. And they were over there multiple times a week getting swings in. And I think that's when I started to get excited. And you and I have talked probably off record about it, about how impressive those guys are from a work standpoint. Um, and so I put nothing past either one of them. They both want to be really, really good baseball players. And, and they put in the work this fall. So uh, they're going to be full go with us. They'll be back at the same time as the rest of the guys there. Um, they're full go. We, we want them to come on the spot, and I think our guys are excited about it too. So when Mike went and sat down with Lane and tried to map this out like you'll hide it with Matt Luke, Lane was receptive then. he wasn't. There wasn't much pushback there. The words, and, I, and again, I don't want to say anything Mike doesn't want me to. The words Mike said when he came back over to the office were that went as well as it could have. Um, Lane was great. Uh, Coach Kiffin basically said, um, you know, hey, we want to give these guys a chance to, to get it done. And, um, and so they'll, they'll revisit it. And I think we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll have a really good understanding a couple weeks into our season, what kind of role they're, they're potentially going to play or not going to play. And, you know, I think coach, coach B and coach Kiffin will, will then revisit it and see how much we need to share them as far as spring football goes. But those guys are baseball players this spring and we're excited about it. And, you know, want to help, want them to help us win a national championship. We'll get right back to Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement after this brief word on Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. What's your New Year's resolution? Maybe it's to finally get in shape, learn a new language, an instrument. Here's one for you. How about a new car? Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is the only place to go for your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. They'll work with you to ensure you get the car you want at a price point you can afford. All you've got to do is go visit Brian Mason and the crew and let them take care of you through the easiest, most seamless car buying process around. How can they best serve you? To take advantage of any one or more of the services Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford provides, be sure to contact them today at 662-638-0044. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. I don't remember a time in which y'all had to deal with even one player like this where they had such a heavy role in football and then you were trying to share him in baseball both of these guys are big time baseball prospects Jerion was obviously ranked really high but john rice had a great high school baseball career for you guys this is new territory as well correct yeah definitely new territory and you know in recruiting both of those guys we use the model of seth smith sinquez golson you know and and used a lot of that but in reality, and this is kind of what you're getting at, Seth Smith was a baseball player. There's no doubt about it. You know, that guy played in the, in retrospect, he played in the big leagues for 12 years, but even, even when he was here, um, you know, there was a guy named Manning that was the starting quarterback. Seth was a holder essentially and played summer, played for team USA in the summer. He was hit 400 as a freshman. There was no doubt he was a baseball player and almost the opposite was true with Sinquez. You know, he was a super prospect from a baseball standpoint. And again, I didn't coach either one of these guys. They were before I got here. Um, but I think I'm accurate in saying that as Sinquez's athletic career at Ole Miss got kicked off, it was pretty evident that he was a football guy and was a second round, I believe, draft pick in the NFL draft. And so it became evident that he needed to be more over on the football side. These guys are a little bit different, at least at this point. And I think it'll play itself out, but – um, those guys were special this fall. I mean, they were, they were really good. You know, I flipped on college game day uh, a couple of days after Christmas when the playoff games were getting ready to start, and there's Plumlee running all over LSU, people talking about it. So, like, these guys are really special on the football field. And so um, this is a little bit unique, a little bit of uncharted uh, waters for us. Um, but it's fun. It's awesome. It, and it's great for us. And uh, I, I hope they can have as big an impact on uh, the baseball program as they did the football program. So when you're watching John Rice run away from LSU, do you immediately envision him running first to third, I don't know, in a big series against Louisville in February? <laughs> uh, 
if I'm being completely honest, I immediately envision, hey, man, if this guy can hit a breaking ball, uh, it's game on. Because uh, then he's on base, and then uh, – and then, and then we can go first to third. So, but I, I think that's the case. And the, there's just, and again, I'm sure I've said this with you before. There's something different about Plumlee. The guy's let a let a huddle his whole life. What he is, and you know this from being around the football program. Baseball sometimes is is uh, is a selfish sport. These guys play in the summer and they go out and they're trying to get a scholarship, trying to get drafted, and that's the reason they go out and play summer baseball. Well, he only did that really one summer. He has spent his time leading a football team, and that's the ultimate team sport. And he brings that uh, leadership and selflessness um, to the baseball. And it is it is evident the first day in August that he walked into our locker room when he showed up for the first team meeting when he wasn't asked to be there and sat in the first row. All of these things are different about him. And so um, I think our guys are impressed by that. None of it is arrogant. And our guys are impressed. And Ely's the same way. I don't want to leave him out of that. Those guys are just a little bit different when they when they play football, which is, like I said, the ultimate team sport. And I think that that's only going to aid our club. It's hilarious that every single conversation we have or we've had for the last year has descended in some way into a discussion about JRP and Jerry and Ely. I'm sorry for that, but it's kind of where things go right now. <laughs> last one about this. Um, Here's the thing. If for the next year, uh, our conversations continue to be about those guys, it's going to be really impressive. Yeah, because balancing that is so difficult. What's really interesting to me is when spring football comes in March, going into April, leading up to the spring game, practices are only in football three times a week, and then there's the Grove Bowl in the last week on Saturday. For yep. you guys, there yep. is an ability then to balance that as far as y'all have games on the weekend, y'all have a game on Tuesday, maybe one on Tuesday and Wednesday. There is a way to share them That's to right. where they can go over and practice in football and then come back over and play baseball. That is uh, the schedule of that is above my pay grade, but I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. I think uh, um, I think that there is at, and we are open, and, and that's where Mike is really good and has tremendous feel because I think um, in your mind as a baseball coach, and we get so buried in our little hole over at Swayze, um, you know, we think well once they're over here and it's spring, they are baseball players, and you know they can worry about football once summer comes and all of that. But Mike just has really good feel. You know, he, he like he said, I'm not against. You know, Pumley's trying to win the quarterback job again. I'm not against him going over there um, on a Tuesday and you know getting some reps in and going through practice and all of that, and then uh, and then coming back over and playing against Arkansas State and getting three hits. No one's going to be mad at him. What if you know? We'll put him in the last round of DP. Just he's very practical that way. And so um, I think we don't know exactly what that looks like right now uh, just because Coach Kiffin is new, but I think it's going to work out. I think it's going to work out seamlessly. And some of it is on, uh, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on, but some of it's on Plumlee and Ely. You know, some of it will depend on how good of baseball players they are. And so, um, and they know that. And, And we've had that discussion with them, and I think they embrace that. And that's what's unique about those guys. I don't know if it's above your pay grade, Mike, but I'm over here solving all the Ole Miss world's problems. That's what I do. I'm talking champions, right? Um, uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up is the Grove Bowl has finally been aligned again with an Ole Miss baseball weekend. How important is that for you guys? Everyone wants to talk about spring football attendance. It matters putting it on a big baseball weekend. Now that it's on the Vanderbilt weekend, what does it do for you guys as well? Well, it's huge. It's huge for us. And we talk about it. We have a coaches retreat in August before school starts each year where, you know, basically our coaching staff holds ourselves up and we talk about all things um, involved in the program and how we can get better. And a part of that is talking about double decker. When is double decker weekend? When is the Grove Bowl going to be? Because those are super, you know, graduation weekends. Those are all really big weekends for our program attendance, all of those things. And when initially the Grove Bowl was, we were going to be out of town. I think we're going to be at Florida. It was disappointing. It was disappointing for us um, just because I know that's a weekend that our fans always really look forward to. Um, I know we have alumni in always for that weekend. It's just a fun weekend to be in Oxford, just like Double Decker weekend is, graduation weekend and all of those things. Um, And anytime you can make Swayze a madhouse, which typically happens quite often, um, it's advantage reps. And so, uh, we we want that advantage whenever we can get it, and it should be uh, it should be a madhouse. 
Yeah, Rocker, Nikhazy on Friday night, then go to the Grove Bowl on Saturday. Then you got Gunner going up against who will arguably be a good Vanderbilt starter on Saturday. That's exactly what you want. That's the quintessential Ole Miss weekend. No doubt about it. So um, if we can get those guys, uh, Rocker and whoever else they're going to throw on the weekend, if we can get those guys rattled a little bit, um, if our fans can get that done, I know uh, the guys on the first base dugout would be uh, would take would take any of that that we could get. I ask you this every year going into the season. We'll talk again, I'm sure, well before the February season opener. But the December 30th feeling from Mike Clement as far as the overall outlook of Ole Miss baseball. Are you encouraged by what you've seen so far? Oh yeah, I, I like our team. I, I like our team, and I guess anybody listening would be like, "Well, he better." Um, and I get it. I should. Um, but but man, uh, really encouraged. Like like we talked about earlier, I think we're we got a chance to be special on the mound and uh, far. Far, far better. I think a lot of times people think about losing Kessinger and Dillard and Zabowski and Cooper Johnson, and those are all real losses for us. But when you have a leadoff hitter coming back and you have a three-hole hitter coming back, who in my six years here, the, the guy that hits in the three-hole is is probably the most consistent guy from opening pitch to uh, current uh, that, that we've had. And so, um, man, I, I feel really good about it. Those are the two cornerstones, and I think we'll have more experience around them than what, what people think. And um, I think we got a chance to be good. And the nice thing, uh, the last couple of years, there's been a little target on our back, and I think uh, we're kind of laying in the weeds, and I think people are going to find out fairly quickly that we got a chance to be really, really good. He's Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. My friend, I thank you for doing this, man. We'll talk again. Anytime. Always enjoy it, Ben. That was Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement. This is Talk of Champions, brought to you in part by the Lamar Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood, and Cheney's Pharmacy. A new year always brings about change. For you or someone close to you, that change could be finally finding a dream home. Enter the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood, an innovative new development from John Welty Realty. Located just up north Lamar, blocks from the Oxford Square, the Lamar offers 48 acres that connects homes and restaurants with arts and businesses. Only a few steps from your front door, a grocery store, brewery, shops, and other amenities. Build out on these modern open concept homes is happening. So get in now. Call them today at 662-816-2782. You can also reach out via email. Hello at the LamarMS.com. The Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood and proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. A new year has arrived. 2020 is here and it's time to assess whether you're using the pharmacy that best fits your needs. For you, the Ole Miss fan, the only place to go is Cheney's Pharmacy. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221. You can visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. That was Ole Miss hitting coach Mike Clement. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Nick Suss at Nick Suss, filling in for Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify, right for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. Look, Nick is a big Tennessee Titans fan. I'm a Sadly, Cowboys yes. fan, been a Cowboys fan for 30 years. But my number two team, and is flirting with making me jump away from the Cowboys and pull me away, because A.J. Brown is my favorite player of all time in any sport ever, even beating Chipper Jones, is the Tennessee Titans. And Tennessee will take on the Patriots in Foxborough this weekend in Wild Card Weekend. They got in, and A.J. has emerged as a monster shocker that this happened. Every Ole Miss fan, not surprising at all, but apparently it's a surprise to most, even though he has four straight games of scoring a touchdown. He's a 1,000-yard receiver, running up to Josh Jacobs now for Rookie of the Year potentially. What do you think about Tennessee Titans, A.J. Brown, the outlook right now? You know that thing that happens when, like, there's a kid who's really coddled in high school growing up and he's never allowed to go out or have any alcohol or party at all. And then he gets to college and he's on his own for the first time ever and he just becomes a wild person. I've been rooting for the Titans for 20 years now. And the best wide receiver I've ever seen is probably Derek Mason. Uh, maybe six weeks of Drew Bennett in 2003 or 2004 when him and Billy Volick went off. I haven't seen very many good receivers. So watching AJ do what he's done over the last six weeks has been a joy. 
Uh, I, I'm obsessed with wide receivers. I always have been. And watching the Titans have somebody who actually looks like he can be a legitimate number one for the next five to 10 years in the NFL, really exciting. But I am trying not to uh, get my expectations too high because the New England Patriots are still the New England Patriots and the defensive player of the year will likely be covering A.J. Brown this week. Just dream with me for a moment here. The Titans go into Foxborough, the defending Super Bowl champs. They've had the dynasty um, over the last decade that is now closing as we go into 2020. Oh, also, Brandon Bolden's playing for the Patriots. That's my dude. Best of luck to Brandon Bolden. But everyone wants to see A.J. Brown have success. Didn't play for a bowl in his entire Ole Miss career. Played for an awful offense his junior year. Played in the slot, played outside, did whatever they needed him to do. They only won five games, lost to Vanderbilt, one SEC win. To see him go be in the playoffs in year one and be the best, most productive wide receiver of all rookies in the NFL, he deserves this. Yeah, I, I agree. And if one, if Mississippi State fans want somebody to latch on to on the Titans, Jeff Simmons is there. Uh, the, the Titans use both their first and second round picks on Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So uh, maybe they can agree on the Titans and agree to not root for the Patriots. But I don't know, man. It, it's It's been really exciting to watch not just AJ, but DK and Dawson Knox and this rookie class of, of Ole Miss pass catchers because all three of them are in the playoffs. It's it's going to be exciting to see Ole Miss get a chance to make its mark with these young players that didn't get to go to the postseason in college, and and now they'll get to do so in the pros. Hollywood Brown was the number one wide receiver taken by the Ravens. He's had a good rookie year, been injured. He's going to be great. After him, Nikhil Harry was number 32 to the Patriots. He's been hurt too, but still, follow yeah. me here. He went number 32 to the Patriots. Number 36 overall, the 49ers went with Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel has been awesome in his rookie year yeah. for the 49ers. So you can make a case for him too. But after that came A.J. Brown at 51 overall. Outside of Debo Samuel and maybe Hollywood Brown, who would not take A.J. Brown? He was 51st overall. And then D.K. Metcalf didn't go until 64. He went after Andy Isabella to the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> Paris Campbell to the Colts. J.J. Arcia-Whiteside for the Eagles. McCole Hardman, who's been good, but not D.K. Metcalf, for the Chiefs. Sometimes NFL evaluators, I think, get a little too in the weeds with their scouting reports. To where they don't value what a kid put on tape in college, they start to pick them apart just to find something to drop them down their draft boards. And that's what happened with A.J. They said he didn't run fast enough, or he didn't get enough consistent separation. Or with D.K., all he can do is this one thing— it's like they feel like they're smarter than they really are. This isn't that complicated of a process. And if anybody's surprised by AJ or DK being successful, something was wrong with you to begin with. Yeah, I don't believe in revisionist history and I believe in accountability. So I will admit I was one of the people that wasn't super high on DK as an NFL prospect. And then he got drafted by Seattle and I said, oh, he's going to be great. Yeah, that's perfect for him. It, it was completely dependent on the situation. Let's say DK got picked by the Saints or something where you have to run that intricate uh, route tree. Uh, I don't think he would have been able to have the rookie season he's had. AJ, however, I always thought he was the number one receiver in this class. There was there was never any wavering for me. And I went to Nashville for the draft this year. And when 32 picks went by and I didn't hear his name, I was just stunned. I, I did not think there was a situation where the NFL would be able to miss on that obvious of a prospect. I, I saw a stat yesterday that said AJ is the fourth rookie this century to be picked outside of the top 50 and have a thousand yard season. Oh my God. And the, and the other three were Anquan Bolden, Marcus Colston and Keenan Allen, who all four of them, not freak athletes, just guys who run routes well, catch passes well, break tackles, get into the open field. I always thought Anquan Bolden was a good comparison for A.J. Brown. And to see him be in that company as a rookie, that's really impressive. I always thought of him like Keenan Allen as far as how he was able to generate space away from defenders yeah. and run away from them. And you've seen that week after week after week. I'm not in any way impartial about A.J. Brown. I love A.J. Brown as a football player. Again, I'll say it. He's my favorite player in any sport ever. I love A.J. Brown. I think he's great. I'm the number one stand for A.J. Brown. I loved him with the Titans. I said it immediately when he was drafted. I like the fit. With what he does well, you can put him in the slot. You can put him anywhere, but when you put him in the slot, 
He's going to beat those guys more often than he's not. But what AJ has done is he's taken his game to another level to where it doesn't matter who's matched up against him. He's making contested catches against quality defensive backs. That's something that Laquan has struggled with in the NFL. That's something you've seen him not be able to get over or overcome in the NFL. And he was a first-round pick. AJ, he's winning 50-50 balls. That play you made yesterday where I think it was a contested catch, he went up and over two defenders. That's the type of play an A.J. Brown can make that other wide receivers in this draft, even Hollywood Brown, can't make. And that's why it's baffling to me. It was baffling to me then. It's baffling to me now that he ended up falling to the second round. Could you imagine A.J. Brown getting picked 32nd over Nikhil Harry to the Patriots right now? My God, what a fit that had been. Now, it's funny that you bring up A.J. being your favorite football player ever because my favorite football player ever, and this will show the very specific era I grew up watching football in, is Terrell Owens. And a friend of ours, uh, Chris Bolton, who does TV in the state, told me he thinks of A.J. as the next Terrell Owens, and that was the happiest I've been in the year 2019. That That's the window into my life of just – I just – how physical he's been and how well he's played contested. And yeah, he's dropped a few passes this year, but that was TO's thing too. If you're thrown out a lot and you're always going through traffic, you're going to drop a couple of passes. But if AJ continues to progress and if Ryan Tannehill does not regress, he can be a, a pro bowl caliber receiver for years to come. Okay. AJ on Sunday, 124 yards with their season on the line, 124 yards on four catches, 51 yard touchdown reception in the first, the 124 yards gave him the third best total of a rookie this season. He improved his 2019 season totals to 15 receptions for 1,051 yards and eight touchdowns. He led all NFL rookies in receiving yards. His 20.2-yard receiving average in 2019 ranked second among all qualifying NFL players, finishing behind only the Los Angeles Chargers' Mike Williams at 20.4 yards per reception, and Brown's receiving average also tied Drew Hill in 1987 for the sixth best figure in franchise history among qualifiers. Why this shocks anyone will never make sense to me. I'll never forget no. what Brian Haydad told me. Brian Haydad is the biggest Mississippi State fan I know. I love him to death. Does a tremendous job for Super Talk Mississippi, covering Mississippi State. But he's a huge Bulldog fan. He has every reason to not like A.J. Brown. Kids from Starkville, they all thought he was going to go to Mississippi State ever since he was a kid. He ends up going to Ole Miss. You would think they wouldn't like A.J. Brown, but he said it the best high school football player he's ever seen. He's always been the best player on the field. He was the best player on the field when he got to Ole Miss. The kid is a special, special talent. And I, I can't say this enough. It's awesome to see him have this kind of success and be in the postseason in year one because if any player deserves it, it's him. He could have gone anywhere. He could have gone anywhere and transferred. He stayed at Ole Miss, didn't make it to a bowl. To see him make the postseason, it's a really cool thing. And I wanted to spend some time talking about it. And I know you as the Titans fan – you could join in with me in uh, yeah. celebrating A.J. Brown. Oh, I'll throw in one more stat for you because this is just the gut punch for NFL talent evaluators. A.J. Brown ends this regular season tied for the NFL lead in touchdowns that went 50 yards or longer. <laughs> for the guy who wasn't fast enough, he led the NFL in explosive plays, tied with, may I add, his teammate Derek Henry. Uh, you watch him on Sundays. He makes a catch, and then he runs – and all of these defensive backs that were faster than him aren't catching him. And he's putting more and more distance between himself and defenders, and he's impossible to bring down. This was the guy that wasn't fast enough, and A.J. Brown's being successful. I don't know if D.K. long-term will be able to stay in the NFL. It's all going to be dependent on who his quarterback is. If Russell Wilson is his quarterback for six years, he'll have at least a six-year career because that's what he does well is throw the ball deep. And D.K. can really catch the ball. But you're right, if he has to get into – some intricate route tree that's going to spell trouble for him that's just not who he is and i will also add as somebody who spent a year covering a brian schottenheimer offense i don't trust it so we'll see how sustainable that is <laughs> who's the next great Ole Miss prospect jerry on Ely? uh probably i'm trying to think if there's anybody else from this if you team. had to buy stock in one player not named jerry on Ely right now for the nfl who you buy Lakia Henry. Oh, wow. Yeah. I really like him. Maybe he's not hes not Bobby Wagner. He's not Luke Keekley, But I just like his athleticism and how hard he plays. And you stick him in the middle of a 3-4 defense or even a 4-3 defense in the NFL, 4-2-5 nickel, whatever you want to do it, I think he can be a 
80 to 100 tackle guy if he's put in the right situation. I'll give you a comp. Malcolm Smith. Okay. I was thinking somebody like K.J. Wright, just a yeah. second inside linebacker on a good defense. But, but I like Malcolm Smith. If I had to buy stock, it'd probably be Lakia Henry now that you've convinced me of it. I wouldn't be surprised if one of these big-time wide receiver signees just completely blossoms under Lane Kiffin. They weren't going to do it under Rich Rodriguez. So you could convince me that a Danish Jackson steps up, a Jonathan Mingo steps up and becomes not necessarily A.J. Brown because A.J. Brown, to me and for my money, the best wide receiver Ole Miss has ever had or will ever have. Um, but I could certainly see them potentially making a big impact in the NFL. Yeah, let's also see uh, how Nick Broker develops because I really liked his game as a freshman. Yeah, he was really productive. It's hard to step into an offensive line as a true freshman because that's the position where you really have to grow and develop into becoming a productive player on the offensive line. It's not like running back or wide receiver to where really from high school to college, it's pretty much the same and from college to the NFL doesn't change all that much. The language is still the same. The concepts are still the same. Offensive line, that's the position where it's the toughest to step in and play, but he had to, and he held up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, he's not Laramie Tunsil, and he's not Greg Little, and those guys were top five recruits in the country for a reason, but for him to produce the way he did as a true freshman and to honestly not be that far off production-wise from where those guys were, uh, maybe he can blossom into a mid-round or even early-round pick if he has two, three more years like that. How are you ringing in the new year? I have not decided yet. There was a part of me that thought about going up to Nashville for it, and then I was like, oh, that's that costs money. So I'm probably going to ring in the new year in Oxford. So if people are spending the night in the town and they want to look for me, I'm the one who looks like me, and there's nobody else who looks like that. So find me and and yell at me i guess what's the age in which it's okay to not feel bad about not celebrating the new year not going out and getting amongst the crowd and celebrating i would say that age comes whenever you are in the position you're in and you have somebody to to sleep okay my girls they'll stay up they want to watch the ball drop they'll both fall asleep my wife will fall asleep too and i'll watch the ball drop by myself with them asleep around me well, sounds like you have an excuse to throw a party, man. So yeah. if you want to invite us over, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the disco ball. Oh, wow. So if I invite you, you're coming. Oh, yeah. This is a, this is a verbal contract. And oh, in no God. way am I using my sarcasm voice. All right. Well, I'm not going to throw a party. But if I do, you can come. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll accept that right. if, if I choose to. All right. So Ole Miss, the number one story you mentioned in 2020 – you said football-wise, at the end of the year, we'll be talking about Jerry O'Neill's draft stock. For baseball, it's Mike Bianco. For basketball, it's what, the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I, I was trying to figure this out yesterday because every team in college basketball feels mediocre right now. There is no team that I've looked at and thought, oh, man, they're great. Let's see what the SEC does. This is a league that I don't think it has figured out who the best teams are yet. Can Ole Miss get to 10 or 11 wins in the SEC this year? And I have no idea who's good in the SEC. So let's see if they can get to the NCAA tournament. And if they can't, let's see what Matt Morell and those guys can do with a, uh, with a reloaded team in the 20 and 21 season. Ole Miss entered Sunday against Tennessee Tech as the fourth highest ranked SEC team in the net rankings. That was amazing yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas's looked good this year, and obviously Kentucky's very good. I watched them beat Louisville the other day because the LSU-Oklahoma game was less interesting than that. And... Uh, yeah, other than that, I, I have no idea who's going to stand out. I expect Florida to bounce back from a slow start. They're just a young team that's figuring some stuff out. But a lot of the teams that we thought – I forgot about Auburn. Auburn's a great team. But a lot of the other teams that we thought would be tournament contenders are just kind of playing listless right now. And Ole Miss might be included in there. They, they still have inconsistencies they need to shore up. So maybe this is a tournament team, or maybe the SEC's back to where it was six, seven years ago, and it's a 3-4 bid league again. Ole Miss starts slow. Florida's not very good, which is surprising to everybody. There are just a lot of teams out there that you can pick them apart in the SEC right now. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see in two, three weeks when league play starts, which teams survive and which teams don't. I, I think Auburn's the real deal. I think Kentucky's always going to be Kentucky. I think Florida's going to figure it out. But after that, you got a tier of teams like Arkansas, like Ole Miss, like Mississippi State, uh, Tennessee. We'll see what these teams amount to being because 
if the SEC wants to be a seven or eight bid league, then a couple of these teams are going to need to step up. Ole Miss played LSU tougher than Oklahoma did. Ah, uh, in football, I was thinking about basketball. Yeah, I was I like, when was the last time Ole Miss and Oklahoma played? Sorry, that but, was jarring. But, but yeah, I, probably. I think uh, I think LSU was a little more motivated against Oklahoma than they were against Ole Miss, but I'm not going to use that excuse. They had something to play for for sure. So. Yeah, Ole Miss, Ole Miss found weaknesses in the LSU defense much better than Oklahoma did, even if LSU was much healthier against Oklahoma. Well, last thing, because I won't talk to you on this podcast until the national championship game. Who wins, LSU or Clemson? I think that LSU wins despite the fact that I think Clemson is the better team. Why do you think Clemson is the better team? I don't see a hole on their team. I can find a few holes with LSU. Their O-line depth is kind of tenuous and their secondary has struggled at points this year, despite having maybe the most talented secondary in the country. And I would have said the same thing if the matchup was LSU, Ohio state, I would have picked LSU despite thinking Ohio state was the better team. I think that the Fiesta bowl last week was the two best teams in the country playing each other. And now they're playing the number one team in the country. And I can make that distinction because my mind is broken, but Let's see. I, I think that LSU is just going to be too much. And when this game's over, people are going to be talking, is this LSU offense the best we've ever seen? And the answer is maybe. <laughs> Who knows? This is one of the best offenses I've ever seen. If but, I asked you this last year, you'd have rolled your eyes and said, really, Ben, have you lost your mind? If I could give you one quarterback to go lead you on a winning drive, is it Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence? Oh, probably Trevor. Ooh, but, that's tough, buddy. That's really, really tough. I mean, I'm still taking Tua because I'm a weirdo, but oh, God. for a winning drive, I'm taking Trevor. For a full game, I'm taking Burrow. I'm going Joe. I'm all aboard the Joe train. He had seven touchdowns in a half against Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was pretty impressive. Uh, I, Joe Burrow transferred or uh, announced his transfer to LSU three days before the company I covered LSU for announced it was going out of business. So I, I just narrowly missed out on that one, man. Poor Nick. I feel bad for you. And then you came to Ole Miss and had to jump in amongst one of the worst stretches in Ole Miss football history. So congratulations. Yeah. And you're skipping the bit where I spent 10 weeks in Hattiesburg and loved it, but yeah, yeah. I've, I've had a very, very interesting 2010s, and hopefully the 2020s will be a little more stable. I think you're going to do okay. He's Nick Suss. I'm Ben Garrett at Nick Suss at Spirit Ben. Colin Brister's at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. And when you do, make sure it's five-star review. Doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. Thank you for filling in on short notice, my friend. I appreciate you. We'll talk again. Yeah, let's do it, Ben. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.